0: was we're uh, reading through Matthew together, taking a look at this section at the end of chapter 13, that's the title of it is Jesus uh, Revisits uh, Nazareth. But it's a story of a city that rejects Jesus, and not just Jesus, but what Jesus is doing. And it's a story about a church Rejecting Jesus. And it's a story about individuals rejecting Jesus, a a city rejecting, a church rejecting, and people in their own hearts, individuals rejecting. And it's an interesting thing to look at because look, a lot of times if you say, Oh, a city is rejecting Jesus, I mean, that's just we should expect that because cities are anti-Jesus. That that's not true. I mean, people in this story. They, they didn't, no one knew, even the people that were loyal to Jesus didn't really necessarily know who Jesus was. Everyone was kind of thinking of Jesus as just kind of a good guy right now. They were coming to understand who Jesus was. I guarantee you, if you look at what Jesus was doing, he, they describe it as that they were struck by this insight and this power. Jesus was speaking truth and people were all of a sudden getting like this insight would come in they were gaining some insight into something and there was something good happening people were getting healed people that no no one in the city was going to be able to heal these people no one there was all these problems associated with all these needs of these people and these needs are being addressed and, and so aside from jesus In general, you would think a city, by the nature of what it is, should have this heart that just says, look, when I see something good happening, when I see people that have needed help, when aid is coming to them, I'm not going to reject that. I'm going to throw everything I can, a mayor, a city council, everybody in a city should be saying, I'm just going to grab a hold of this and I'm just going to move forward with this. And so it's not just a rejection of Jesus and who we know, but it's the work of God in a city that we're all of a sudden struck with And we see that all of a sudden some needs of people that their needs just haven't been addressed before. But now we're seeing, how is it that a city can see that? How is it that city officials can see that? How is it that we as a city can see good going out to people in the way that Jesus, it's happening here, and then just reject it out of hand? How does that happen? And here it says that, Uh, He came to his hometown, that's his city, and he began teaching to them in their synagogue. That was their place of worship. It's the church. How is it that a church can see things that Jesus is doing and actually, by their own questioning, they admit that they see they were struck and then they describe it in their own words as there's this insight and there's this power, this, you know, there's these healings going on. How is it that we aren't, you know, by definition, if we're coming to church, like if you take us as a church tribe as a church, what we come and aren't we coming to say, we want to know what Jesus is doing. And when we see what Jesus is doing, we're going to follow it. I mean, me, and then you think of us as individuals. I mean, like me as a pastor at a church, you would think that like, I see Jesus doing this. So. And so you know, that's what we do. We see what Jesus is doing. It takes everybody off guard that there is this path that we start running down that's rejection. We start to reject it. And the way it's described is down in verse 57. It says, they took offense at him. Uh, The the word offense is uh, literally, they stumbled over him. In other words, we see what God is doing. We see, if you don't want to say, if you're a city, if you don't want to call it something God is doing, you at least see there's good happening. But I can almost guarantee you that everyone that's willing to admit that good is happening and is willing to get on board understands there's something supernatural happening here. And, and if they were pressed in a private con- would understand this is something God is doing. How is it that we can be struck with what God is doing, but then stumble over it? Isn't that what we're looking for? Solution to some of these problems. People, you know, it isn't, you know, don't we want to participate in that? Don't we want as an individual? How is it that we can actually be struck? It's not that, well, I don't know if I'm being struck or not. Well, that's one thing. But the fact is in this story, they were being struck. It was happening. As a city, as a church, as individuals, it wasn't. And by their own questioning, they're admitting that they're struck by it because that's what they're talking about. How is it that we come about stumbling? The, the first part is it says that they started with a question. The stumbling started with a question Where did this man get this wisdom? and these miraculous powers. I guarantee you if like, for instance, if you look at the example of what's happening in the East Bay during COVID where people are being fed, things are happening. And in terms of our participation in that, if you look at like Tribune, I can guarantee you the city's already asked that question. Well, where did this come from? We start asking these questions. Now, as a pastor, a lot of times I just think, and even just individually, I think, well, I mean, questions are good. It's us processing stuff. And I think about that myself. It's like, look, I need to, I need to ask some questions because I need to. Pro- the problem is, that's not what's happening here. Look at what they say. Their question is, where did they get this? Well, they already knew where it came from. They wouldn't have been questioning why it was happening with Jesus if it wasn't for the fact that it was just beyond what a person is going to be able to do. If it was due to his education, they would say, oh, it's due to the education. If it's due to his plan, they'd say it's due to his plan. In the absence of anything humanly like, they ask that. So by the nature of them asking it, they know but then if you look further at what the questions is, is not this the carpenter's son? Well, what does that have to do with anything? That's not processing, that's just stumbling over a bunch of stuff. Is this not, is not his mother called Mary? What what does that have to do? If his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and his sisters, are they not all? Here with us, where where did this make? Whatever it is that they meant by that, whether good or bad or people go into, it doesn't matter what they meant by those questions. If we're struck by something God is doing, here's something God is doing. Someone that is blind has received sight. Someone who couldn't walk is now walking. People that were hungry are now being fed. That's some of the things that Jesus was doing. If you look at that, who cares if what who cares if Joseph's dad was a carpenter? What does that have to do? Who cares who his mother's name, who cares, brothers and sisters? It's it's irrelevant. The path of stumbling that leads to rejection is paved by asking all these questions instead of just looking at what God is doing and just saying, it is what it is. Who cares why, who, what, how, who this person is? If God is healing people, if God is doing wonderful things, let's just get on board with that. I know for me personally, every single time that God has ever done anything, it is this type of way, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm just sort of struck with some sort of insight or I'm struck with this. And then I just start asking all these questions and it never leads anywhere productive. All it leads to is just that there's something in my heart that is there that for whatever reason is rejecting what God is doing. I see what God is doing. And and the more I ask questions, the more I start feeding this part of me that is rejecting. And we don't take notice of that. We just think, oh, well, if I see what God is doing, then I will go. But that's not the way it works. Because when God is doing something, there's a part of us, and this is very real, there's a part of who I am as an individual, who we are as a church, who whatever city is, there's always a part that is going to reject what God is doing. And there's a part that sees it as good. And so it, it's not as simple as, what is God doing? Okay, then I'll do that. The what is God doing, when we're struck with the what is God doing, that's never a question. Everybody always knows that. It's that what is God doing creates this internal conflict now. In a city, in a church, and, and, because, of city and church, because a city and a church are made up of people. And so it starts with us as individuals. In our hearts, whatever it is that Jesus is doing, there's going to be something about it that we're just not going to like. And we're going to ask questions, and, and the questions aren't really going to have anything to do with it. They have more to do. They don't have anything to do with what God is doing. The questions have to do with what's going on in our heart. And more often than not, they're stemming from that side of us that just for whatever reason, just doesn't like it. It's good for us to think through that, not because we need to change our hearts and just jump full bore on whatever it is that God's doing. It's good for us to understand that when we are struck with what God is doing, there's going to be an internal battle. There just is, because that's who we are. And and so he's letting us know, prepare, Don't, don't be... Caught off guard. It's the way it is. And, and so for for me, this happens every time. that God does something. And, and I'll start walking down the street and I'll just be like, well, what about this? And I'll start thinking through, trying to process through, trying to make these deductions, trying to ask these questions. And, and I just all of a sudden will always come to this place. It's like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. God, I, I'm praying to you. I don't even know what I'm asking for at this point. I, I mean, I know what you're doing, but I'm asking all these questions. I can't stop my heart from going down this road of all these different things. But I know that's not leading to anywhere. And I just have to, I can't stop it. But there's this other side of me that just says, God, you got to save me. I mean, I don't know why I'm going down this road. I can't stop my brain from thinking I can't stop. I just need help. I need your forgiveness. I, I just I don't want to miss out on this, but I know that there's this thing going on, and I don't know how to explain it. That's the nature of what it means to grab a hold of. There's always going to be a delay caused by this rejection that is natural to us. And then this light. This mustard seed Jesus had said earlier—that that God puts into our heart—that's that's faithful, that that's trusting, that that sees, that's struck by. This is something God is doing. But the path to embracing that is never clean cut. And it's not that it's okay. It's not okay for us to have this battle. But God knows we're going to have it. He's there for us. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, to render that battle useless. It it doesn't matter because in the end, Jesus loves us. He cares for us. He's going to forgive us. Now, Jesus then describes that by saying something. He says, he gives this saying, and, and you can tell it's a saying, he says a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household now from whatever culture you're in this saying will ring a bell to you in our culture maybe we say something like familiarity breeds contempt or something there's a million different ways of speaking this the point is jesus knew it was a common saying at that time there was many different renditions of this in the Jewish culture. At that time, there was many different renditions of this in the Greek culture. And we don't need to know that because when we read it, there's a rendition in our culture that comes to mind. Like for me, familiarity breeds contempt. What Jesus is doing is he's not giving them new information. He's not telling us new information. He's stating this saying to let us know, look, you already know this is a messed up thing to do. The rejection that you're feeling, you actually know that's a messed up way to go. Now, what's the root of this conflict? If you look at the city of Nazareth, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, Not in Matthew, I can't remember which, maybe Luke, I can't remember which gospel it is, but, but... Jesus starts to call his disciples, and and one person comes to Jesus and has this revelation. I think that this Jesus of Nazareth might be the Christ. That's this city. And the person that he says it to, one of the people that follows Jesus in the end, but the person starts following Jesus with this impulse, this like he just blurts out this statement. And what he says is, Nazareth, what good can come from Nazareth? Nazareth. In other words, he's following Jesus, but there's this pullback, and the pullback is, what? Well, what good thing can come there? What good can come from any of those people that live in that city, Nazareth? Nothing good can come from that city, Nazareth. Nothing good can come from any group of people, whether they're following God or church in Nazareth. Nothing good can come from a person as an individual in Nazareth. The people in Nazareth knew that's how people viewed them. People were discriminatory towards them. People thought of them as nothing. They knew how people viewed them. There was pain that was there from the way people had pigeonholed them and put them in a place where they just couldn't accept anything good as coming from them. Nazareth knew how people viewed them, and yet they do the exact same thing to Jesus and his family. They pigeonhole Jesus. In other words, everything that they knew was bad that was coming at them, they turn around and do the same thing to Jesus. That's what we're doing a lot of times. And it's not that they didn't know that this was bad. They did know it was bad, but for some reason— they felt justified in doing it to someone else. Now, maybe you could say they're a religious culture, they're following the, the Ten Commandments. Maybe they were looking in the Bible and they saw the law, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, that if someone's done this to me, then I can reject them. The problem is, is they're talking about their own eye. They're talking about their own person with Jesus. He's one of them. But if we're living on that principle, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, we will constantly be be speaking out of our own hurt, our own pain, our own self-hate that is legitimate, it's not legitimately that the feeling is legitimate because the pain is being inflicted on us from other people. And so it's a real feeling. But it doesn't justify something. It would only do that if that's what we're holding to for our salvation. But with Jesus, that's not what we're holding to. We're holding to forgiveness. And so nothing that Jesus is doing is going to come about by us doing something that we know is wrong, especially when it's applied to us, but we now feel justified in being like that to someone else. Nothing that Jesus does, is going to fit with that. In other words, as this battle wages in our heart, let's be aware that this question, question, question road that we're going down, that's feeding the wrong side. This, I feel justified to treat people this way or that way, however that rendition may be. And and however, you know, in the case of the Nazarites, They were justified in feeling that pain. But however, that's not going to feed the right side. All of those things are feeding a rejection of what we know is good. It's a rejection of whatever it is that all of a sudden we're like struck with from out of nowhere. And that could be an insight. It, it could be something powerful that we see that God is doing. That's good. The path to rejection is led by this weird road we go down of asking all these questions that have nothing to do. If it's something God is doing, it has nothing to do who Doso's dad is, that whether he's a carpenter or not. If it has to do with what a person is doing, then I don't know. Maybe that might. But if we're talking about being struck by something God is doing, that we see this person is blind, you know, on the par with that. This person blind, they receive sight. This isn't something a person is going to be able to do. Therefore, we're talking about something God is doing. If it's something God is doing, then all the questions we're asking have nothing. It's just either get on board or not. And there's a part of us that wants to. In the end, uh the last thing is, in terms of their rejection, it says, "And he did not do many miracles there and, and then the cause is not Jesus didn't do many miracles there because he felt rejected, and, and so he just got teed off and took off. That's not Jesus knew what it was going to be like coming there. But he came anyways. It says the reason was because of their unbelief or their distrust. In other words, this side of us, whether it's a city, a church, or us as a person, this side of us that just is, it's this heart of rejection that we've started stumbling down this road. It's finally won out, and the answer is no. And when that happens, there is loss. And the loss is, I mean, there's a lot of people there that needed healing, that didn't get healed. There's a lot with that city. There's a lot with that church. There's a lot with each individual person that Jesus, we were reading last week when it says Jesus attended to all of them. He wasn't able to do that here. There was, there's a real loss. Now, the good news is, it's in the title, and the title isn't really there. It's just on Jesus revisits that. Jesus is going to go back to Nazareth. Now, the problem is once we get going down this road of no, 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 it's really hard to pull out of that. But Jesus is going to go back. But the loss is maybe he comes back the next day. Well, there, then there's a day more that we're sort of in our misery. Maybe he comes back a week later and gives us another opportunity. That's a, a week. There's stories in the Bible of people coming to this place of saying no. And God doesn't come back to it for 40 years. A whole generation has to dwell in that pain. There's serious consequences for this spiritual battle. The spiritual battle in a city is not what people in the church painting out to be. The spiritual battle in the church is not what we think. The spiritual battle in both is the same exact spiritual battle that's in us, where there's a part of us that the second God starts to do something, we start to reject it. We already go down that road. And there's a part of us that doesn't want to, that wants to Grab a hold of it. But just by the fact that there's a battle, we're not able to grab a hold. What does this mean? Is Jesus saying we should have a heart that just never fails? No. He's saying that the path the saying yes. Given the nature of who we are, that there's this part of us that just is going to pull us down this road, stumbling over everything that God has done in rejection. And there's a part of us that wants to grab a hold of it, but it's battling this other part. The nature of who we are, there's no way that we can move forward outside of repentance. Saying yes always begins with repentance. And repentance is a difficult thing. But what it is is, it's saying, God, I, I know this is there with me. I, I'd love to be able to stop it, <laughs> you know. But I'm gonna just don't see me through this. See me through this one part, that part that wants to follow Jesus. Forgive me of this part, and somehow I do a miracle in me that allows me to head down this way of what i see that you're doing and that's what a path of repentance and that's why repentance is so wonderful it's not because we think repentance is about this condemnation is about this other side that's not what it's about repentance is about saying look i see that that's all there i know that's all there. god you know that's all there But but my salvation depends on you seeing me through this small part that loves you, that cares for you, that wants to receive you, and build my whole life into this part. Have everything view me or treat me as though this was me, even though this other part is there. And that's a good thing, and the good news is, That's all Jesus is looking for. That's all he's waiting for. And whether we're blind and receiving sight, our real need is to have this. Because our real need is to, it's not to have God in our life, because God is in our life. Our real need is to accept that God is in our life, the truth of that, and the healing of that, and to say, I want to build who I am. I want my life to be defined by what God is doing, and I don't want to be in denial, and I don't want to be fighting that, and I don't want to be rejecting that, even though I know I am in a way. And I know there's a part of that, if you look at this, that I just feel like, oh, God, what are, you know, there's no hope for me. I can't, there's just no hope. There's a certain sense of hopelessness. And that's what the devil wants us to focus on. But God knows who Nazareth is. And God, Jesus died on the cross to save Nazareth because he loves Nazareth. He cares about his people. And he knows that this is here. That's why we needed a Savior that would die for us, to fix this part, to make up for this part. And the new life that Jesus lives in heaven is him taking on all of this part for us and just taking it on himself and dying on the cross for this, just nailing this part to just saying, look, I'm just taking this all off. Whatever should come to you based on this part, I'm just gonna take that all so that in essence, in terms of the way God is viewing you, all He sees is this small part, and all God cares about is a small part. It doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be a huge commitment, it can just be the smallest little thing, and God's promises. That even though we're not capable of it, the miracle, what the miracles are pointing to, what the power is pointing to, what the insight is pointing to, is God's promise that he will, as Jesus said in Mustard seed, create this tree where we'll finally find rest in it and other people will find rest in it too. Uh, let's pray. And, and sort of the challenge, I think, for us, given this passage as a city, as a church, as, however it is that you want to look at it is to just be honest about the struggles that we have. But cling to the only hope that we have, which is the hope that we see happening around us, which is the hope of God stepping in and saving us. And God building something, God putting something in our heart and building a new life of rest for us and others on that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for the way that you care for us. We thank you for winning this battle for us and help us as we struggle through this. And we pray, Jesus, that you will do a miracle for us as a city, uh, us as a church, us as individuals. The miracle of connecting us and, and just keeping that part of us, preserving that part of us, and building on that part of us that sees the good that you are doing and loves it and is thankful for you and lead us down that path. We ask you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Dennis, let me just check in about something are we doing communion today yes we are sorry that's all right i I was thinking we were gonna do a song and then do it but i just messed that up no no no. so as damon no that's all right uh damon we're gonna go ahead and do communion now uh I, i think if those of you who have gotten some something to sort of break or something to eat uh what what communion is is I pointed this out before as the beginning of it says on the same night in which he was betrayed. In other words, Jesus, he had this group of disciples and he knew that a part of it was going to betray him. He wasn't, there's a part of who we are that's going to reject. That's going to, he knows that that's why he died for us. on the cross, And that's why he's asked us to remember this. And that's why, the verses that we're going to quote, lead up to this. And so let me just share those, and you can just sort of take it in. And then if you want to say yes, this is a small way to sort of feed that side of us that that really just wants to say yes to Jesus. If you want to say yes to Jesus, find something, or even just symbolically take it. But say yes in our hearts. That's what this is all about. Scripture says, On the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then in the same way, he, he took the cup, and after he had supped, taken a sip, he said, this is my, this, this cup is my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Uh, Eat and drink of it, all of you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood, this real tangible symbol that points us to your life here on earth. Uh, You coming down and becoming a part of us in flesh and blood. And also you giving up that flesh and blood and giving up your life for us. Help us to remember that we needed a Savior. We need a Savior that is going to die for us. Lord, help us to remember what you've done and help us to remember what God has done in raising you from the dead and giving you life and connect us to that life. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.